sounds like the the Edgar Wright trilogy where he had Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and then the Cornetto trilogy. The Cornetto trilogy, yeah. Well, I think this week we're, you're not aware of this, Nathan. I'm, I'm not aware of okay. That well, reference. in every in every one of the those three films, so Shaun of the Dead. Uh, Hot Fuzz and is it at World's End or is that the Pirates of the Caribbean? I think it's just called World's End. Yeah, well, uh, the World's End. It? Yeah, it's already it's googling. The name of the, ten seconds. The name of the pub, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and uh, in every one of those films, somebody eats a cornetto, and is it the flavor of the cornetto they eat is like the color or the theme uh, yeah. of that film? I, I think so. Yeah. So in Shaun of the Dead, it's a zombie. Horror film, Red Cornetto. And strawberry, yeah. Strawberry, yes, if you like. I am and then I guess, is it a blueberry one in Hot Fuzz? I do they do blueberry Cornettos? I don't know. I can't remember what it is. Mm. I know the uh, the last one's mint. It's yeah. green. Kind of like sci-fi, alien-y stuff. Um, all this to say Jokes. that we have... There's okay. a wiki page on the, the oh. three flavours Cornetto trilogy. The Cornetto trilogy. <laughs> there's, actually, there's a full-on wiki page. Anyway. Yeah, well... Anyway, all, all this to say, we are coming to the end of our own trilogy here, the Pokemon Go podcast trilogy. Is this it? This is it. This is the last time we're going to talk about it. Well, unless something massively important happens. Intentionally talk about it, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I'm aware that some people may not want to hear about Pokemon Go week in, week out. So this will be our last, our last time. Um, but first of all, as we keep forgetting to do, and we're finally doing it, We'd like to put at the top of the show that if anyone wants to get in touch with us, because you might not have got to the end of an episode before and you may not even know that we have an email address or all these various social medias. If you'd like to get in touch with us about anything that we talk about today or if you have any thoughts on any tech news, then please drop us an email, podcast at unravelingtechnology.co.uk. I think. Sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then we're on Twitter at Unraveling Tech, and we've got our blog with lots of lovely articles at unraveling.technology. Okay, we did it. I'm so proud of you. Okay, I'll wait well for done. the emails to roll in next week. Yeah, good job. Yeah. So to start with today, well, first of all, welcome to episode 34, I think we decided, of the Unraveling Technology podcast. Me, Joe Tonks, joined by David Johnson. Hello. Hello. And Nathan Rona. Good afternoon. Okay, we're on a roll. Let's keep this up. Right, so uh, yeah, a few, uh, few things today. I was just saying I was, I was struggling a bit for tech news, so I couldn't can really find anything meaty of substance to really get into, but we've got quite a few things to have a look at, starting, of course, with the wonderful news that Robot Wars is back on. Yes, mm. so much nostalgia. Yeah, I, well, you see, the biggest nostalgia value of Robot Wars was always Craig Charles to me, so yeah. him not being in it is a little bit... The shame. So, someone in the office was moaning about him. Quite Craig com- Charles. Yeah, not like not liking him as a commentator for Robot Wars. What about Takeshi's Castle? Did they like him in that? I don't know. He he mentioned how he was not very good on Match of the Day, and I think that was his main gripe. Is is he on Match of the Day currently, or was he? No, I'm pretty sure he has been a few times. He's it's an interesting or, one because at least some sort of fo- football somewhere. Yeah, trying yeah. to commentate on. And it's not been very good. He he does that thing that you get a lot of minor celebrities do, where they sort of do nightclub circuits. Mm. So I think he's he's a DJ or something of that ilk. Because my sister went to some some club at some point, and Craig Charles was there, and he like did he Glastonbury. All right, okay. Well, there you go. Mm. Uh, strength to strength. 
But yeah, he like took my sister's phone off her and recorded a message on it. I'll oh. have to find it. We'll put it up with the podcast. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> what he put on my sister's phone. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Darobrian took his place. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which I was, I was saying, I see a lot of Darobrian, and a part of me thought, well, is he gonna, is he gonna live up to the memory of Craig Charles? But he's fine. He's I think. All right. I think he's got the scientific. I was saying to you, was it you? I was saying to somebody. Mm. I think he's got the scientific background. So, which I, I wasn't know. aware of. Yeah, he's he's got some background in science physics, I think. Um, definitely got a lot of interest in it and does a lot of presenting of programs to do with science, oh. astronomy, generally physics things. So, yeah, I feel like he's he's qualified. That's true, actually. Yeah. There was a program he was on with Brian Cox. I, th- I think it was when somebody went into or was coming out of space. Yeah, something like that. Um, I don't know if I just said astrology or astronomy, but I meant astronomy. <laughs> you think um, I would just like to admit by the way to my mistake in mistaking Craig Charles for Jonathan Pierce <laughs> Jonathan <laughs> just P- before yes, ever yes. get Jonathan any hate mail Pierce. through Fair the enough. now uh, announced email address right okay as, as in people didn't just to like, clear that up people didn't like Jonathan Pierce or yes. Jonathan Pierce was on match of the day no or Jonathan both. Pierce both okay so someone in the office didn't like the fact that Jonathan Pierce was commentating it even though he always has yeah yeah he has purely because he? he's got a gripe with him on match of the day I anyway, really like Jonathan Pierce because he seems to really enjoy what he does. Mm, yes, like true. he is laughing. Like um, there was a bit where um, what was the robot called? It began with B. One that flipped, flipped everything up. Oh, oh. it's like Bastion or something uh, like that. Uh, something, uh, whatever. And it flipped one of these mini robots like three meters into the air, and he loved it. Or like every time <laughs> a wheel flew off, but he'd be like, "Oh, the wheels come off." He delighted in it as much as I did. So, um, they did like a video not long ago, which was reintroducing all the house robots. And I thought they were going to give them a makeover, but they no, they look pretty that. much the same as I remember them looking. I think they've rebuilt heavier. them. So mm, that, yeah, I read somewhere that some of them are like twice as big as they used to be. Well, that's the thing, yeah, because I remember them being in my in my head, not too big. But then no, they, they had one of bigger. them smashing up a washing machine. I, I thought, wow, look at the size of these. They look bigger than I can remember from watching mm. it in the nineties. Yeah, and they. I think that video where they introduced the house robots again, they did say they weighed a lot more and so kilowatts a bit bigger, seven hundred and fifty kilograms, yeah, something ridiculous like it's that. Put on a lot of weight. Yeah, Not a lot to do since Robot Wars finished last time. <laughs> it's been sat around in an empty arena. Yeah, I didn't. I couldn't even remember Shunt. Was it Shunt? Was that the one with the pincers? Uh, no. It? Who am I thinking of? The one that's not Matilda. So Hang on, not Matilda. Um, it oh. was so Dead Metal. Dead Metal. Dead metal yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. No, I couldn't remember. So I remember the robot. I didn't remember the name. Mm. So I could. The ones that I remember are Matilda, Sergeant Bash, who's, who's not in absent. this one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Kill a Lot and Shunt. But yeah, there's Dead Metal as well, and I think he, yeah, he was around. Mm. It, the other criticism I saw was that the pit doesn't have smoke in it anymore. <laughs> so it used to be that the pit <laughs> looks really, you know, weird. Well, ominous. scary, ominous. A bit more daunting than just an empty pit. Just an empty pit. No, but I guess if you yeah. want to mount cameras in it, you're going to have to have the visibility. Mm. That was another complaint, was that people said the camera work was all over the place. I think it did benefit from being HD, because I guess we used to watch it on ye olde televisions. Mm. Yeah. Whereas now you can see in a, in a lovely 60 frames a second. That's true. Watching those robots. Yeah. They also had the uh, slightly manic robot 
uh what was it nuts on the first episode yeah which was around all over the place with its mini robot so i can't imagine that was quite easy to follow on the camera they, they interviewed so. those guys didn't they and they mm. said like how does it work and they're like we don't know <laughs> how much time and money have you spent on this robot how and much do you time do you think they get between the end of one match and the next one two hours is it two hours because they do a they good said. job like yeah. two hours for repairs and getting it ready for the next match yeah because yeah. some of those they really yeah. put them back together Especially when, you think, yeah if you've been if you last fight your robot got decimated and is in bits hmm. difficult difficult job getting it ready we knew someone, didn't we, at school who went on Robot Wars? Yeah, I don't remember ever seeing the episode. I think it was their brother mm. that uh, that built a robot and entered it, and I think he went along as support. Was Robot I, Wars not techno games? Or I don't know. Like it, that, I th- I thought it was Robot Wars. Mm. That's yeah. our claim to fame. Yeah. <laughs> we know a guy who might have been on Robot Wars. Whose brother might have been on Robot Wars? <laughs> I don't think they ever got anywhere. No, well, it's, tif- it's a stiff competition, isn't it? Especially if you don't have some sort of circular saw. That's yeah. a winning formula, circular saw, mm. hypno-disc, circular saw. I don't know if hypno-disc ever did very well, but I know that that's like the one robot that I can still remember the name of. Mm. So. Yeah, and Robot the Bruce. Memory. Robot the Bruce. Robot the Bruce. <laughs> but I can't remember what Robot the Bruce looked like. There was one that they kept coating in for... That I can't remember what's name it, <laughs> I bet what Sergeant the name it Bash was. Loved that. Well, basically, that was the point: was that every every round it would get set on fire and all the fake fur would burn off, and then they would coat <laughs> it with more fur, <laughs> and there'd be a scary, scary robot underneath. Is that all like, their repair job for those two hours? <laughs> Probably, just yeah. Recoat the fur. I think it was pretty good. It would just, yeah, they just put fur on it. Yeah, why I, not? My problem with the original Robot Wars series was that it kind of after about. Th- two or three series it felt like everybody went right we need to build a robot it is wedge shaped it has a circular saw Mm, it works both one way up or the other way up and pretty much every robot just became a carbon copy of one design so do you think everyone's forgotten that over the interview i don't know that certainly the ones on this first episode seemed a bit more varied which is good i always thought the the kind of axe was fairly popular as well yeah design but then you get the occasional instance where the axe get wedged and then the yeah. hide the pneumatics would mean would instead of pulling back the axe it would pull, pull the, the robot the robot over, over yeah. into its front yeah, which true. is yeah why you need a reversible robot um yeah there was there was an article uh, on business insider that was uh talking about a lad called ellis ware who's going to be in the fifth episode of robot wars this series with his robot called pulsar um, which apparently when it starts up sounds like a jet engine <laughs> um, who is he's self self taught he's taught himself all of this stuff so one of the things I can't remember which which group it was but there was there was one team in this week's episode where you had like someone who was you know a computer scientist and then you had another guy who I don't know. There was all these really big scientific jobs, and then the last guy on the team was like a like worked at a DIY store or something like oh, that. Oh yeah. And I thought, well, hey, he knows where to get all the stuff at a yeah. good a good price, so why not? But yeah, the point being here, this 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 fella Ellis, um, he learned everything from YouTube. Every and uh, I think he he because he, he bought a lathe and every he learned everything about how to use that lathe through YouTube. It just makes me think, 
Is there anything you can't learn on YouTube these days? It's <laughs> <laughs> a good Because, I mean, there are, there are places where you can sort of buy video tutorials. So there's, I think it's called Linda is the yep. site. There's Udemy. There are others. And when it comes down to a lot of the information you find on there, there'll be some kind soul who's put similar information upon on YouTube. I think yeah. the thing with those is it's probably about quality. Yeah. So, for instance, we both subscribe to actually one of my friends, Ooh, um, yeah. one of our old school friends, did a uh, tutorial series on using Unity, which is a game engine. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and that's we got that through Udemy. You can go on YouTube and you can find probably tens of thousands, if not more, tutorials on how to do all kinds of things in Unity. But it's wading through all the ones which, you know, where they haven't, they don't really know what they're doing or they spend half an hour introducing their video and half an hour closing it out again. (laughs) Or, you know, the the quality of the captures really bad or they try and do something and they make a mistake and they don't know what's gone wrong. <laughs> backtrack and figure out where it went wrong. Yeah. I've seen Udemy videos where that happens though. Right. But it's more of like, a, well, we've lived and we've learned rather than uh, I'm going to turn the video off and come back in 10 minutes and yeah. hopefully it'll be fixed. <laughs> so yeah. But yes, there there are definitely tutorials about a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, just redecorating our, our new house. I've, I've YouTubed all sorts of rubbish that I should be able to figure out by myself. Like... <laughs> I've got a bare wall here. How do I paint it? And sure. there's videos of everything. I think my dad recently um, refitted one of his bathrooms and I'm pretty sure he said he watched YouTube videos on how to move plumbing around and put yeah. the toilet in a different location. Why not? Yeah. Or uh, Photoshop or yeah, anything. Sorts. I remember well, hearing I mean, a story a while ago about someone who went for a job interview to learn uh, that, that required Dreamweaver knowledge. Yeah. Uh, to design websites and he told them that he you know he was fluent in it but he wasn't but then he went away and just watched youtube videos all weekend and came (laughs) in and did a competent job oh my word yeah so plenty to learn although yeah as david says the problem is with so much there there's a lot of lots of filter through and yeah yeah, some of it could just be wrong at the end of the day that's Mm. true yes Right, let's get on to the let's get on to the Pokemon aspect then, because this was uh, this get it was out of the, the way. Yeah, so this was I was just uh, closing closing down my PC yesterday, and I saw a, an article on Ars Technica, which is which is called "The Tireless Automated Bots That Want to Play Pokemon Go for You." Now, I have uh, in the last couple of weeks, you know, you sometimes see adverts on on Facebook for invariably for mobile games and stuff like mm-hmm. that in fact just as an aside how ridiculous is this so uh you, you know there's a lot of games like dawn of war fire yeah. age or fire war whatever i took it i've got a screen cap here of a game that was advertised at me so it says a suggested app warning this game will keep you awake 24 7 sorry this game is not for kids and the game's called war of warship Pacific War. <laughs> uh, I don't know what it is, but I guarantee that it's. Do you think they were just joking around there. when they came up with the title. It, they could have been. How hey, many times can we fit war into the title yeah. of the game? Do you yeah. think there's like a random generator somewhere on the internet that builds these kind of like fake 
app names and somebody took it too seriously. Like, <laughs> yeah, it could have been. Possibly. I mean, it says beneath it, 123,405 people play this. So, yeah, well, <laughs> either that's a fake number, which it could well be, or it's working. Uh, but yes, I was on there and there was uh, an advert for like the Pokemon Go money generator. And, you know, because you can pay real money and yeah. and uh, you get coins, which you can then convert into lures or whatever. <clears throat> and it was basically that just cycling up into the millions, like click here and all this. And I thought, yes, I doubt very much that you can do that. But what I wasn't aware of until I read this Ars Technica article is how easy it is to create, is to load up a bot that will play Pokemon Go for you. Mm. So just from the article here, it says there are a number of competing bots out there from the open source Necrobot to the pre-compiled PokerBuddy to MyGoBot, which recently started charging $5 for its automate, automation tool after a, th- a free three-hour trial. So I had, um, I had a play. I created a new... I did, didn't want to do it on my account because I didn't <coughs> want to get banned or anything. But I, ha- I created a new Pokemon Trainer Club account mm-hmm. and I had a go at the Necrobots one. And it's amazingly easy to do. You basically, you just uh, you download it, you run it. It asks whether you're authenticating as a Google user or a Pokemon Trainer Club user. And then you give it longitude and latitude and just set it going and off it goes. And so it what's goes it doing then? Walk. So what it's doing essentially is spoofing GPS coordinates, but in a human-like manner. So it jumps from place to place. It reports to Google from place to place. Like, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. Um, that simulates the walking. And then in between that, there's it'll just catch Pokemon that it identifies along the way based on another program. I think there's one, I think it's called Pokemap. Right. Basically, it's an algorithm that tells you where, where Pokemon are going to be at what point. Hmm. And there's lots of variables you can set on it. So I've got a picture of it there. It's not very easy to see. We'll put it up uh, on the website as well. But uh, it's basically command line. So it's mm. not. there's no visual feedback apart from the text that's written there. So if someone wanted to do this what, that wasn't familiar with command line, it wouldn't be so well, simple? Or? I, I, yeah, it's fine. It's because everything on there, it makes sense. So it's just basically going through going, uh, throwing a Pokeball at a Pidgey caught it throwing a pokeball at this caught it selling pokeballs evolving pokemon walking spinning a pokestop and it just goes through tirelessly so i said i set it going uh like just basically on the start of my lunch break before the 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 weekly frantic uh, (laughs) podcast research and at the moment the account i've got there is is level level 16 and how long in an hour hour and a bit from le- from level from level from, one from zero that is mad yeah and then you can have a look and it's got all the pokemon and everything it's a real shame if it's, if it stays yeah. this way that you can do it and, I, I and they don't the, sort it out yeah i thought the ease of the way you could do it it was kind of shocking because yeah. this is very much the kind of thing that could uh ruin the game essentially yeah because yeah. you wouldn't Especially if people are just leaving leaving these programs running idle and then they can take these really powered up Pokemon to their nearest Pokemon gym and yeah. and you could you, yeah, it's something that they and it means people can go back to just sitting inside and mm. not getting out, kinda of take away that aspect. Yeah, of it as well. it's it's gonna undo all the hard work oh, done by yeah. Pokemon Go. Um so I I don't know if there are any 
steps that they take to try and there there definitely are because um i've definitely read articles about them banning people well in fact i don't think they even ban people i'm sure i've read articles about people spoofing gps coordinates to try and put themselves in more interesting areas where there's more interesting pokemon yeah and there's some kind of like soft ban in place and i think you are then you can't catch any of the pokemon or they immediately run away or something like that if Mm. they figure out that you're spoofing gps doesn't seem strict enough though there's well people from doing it so this is the thing there's stuff there but then if you go and look at something like their previous game, Ingress, yeah. that has also got a bit of a hit and miss relationship with them detecting cheaters. And mm, okay. apparently that kind of reached a point where they were basically relying on <coughs> other people to uh, report cheaters. And the word from the community is that sometimes they deal with it and sometimes the people who report cheaters just get ignored. Right, it's a hard thing to police unless you see a pattern. I imagine because I, I was playing yesterday and my character just ran half a mile down the street all of a sudden. Yeah, <laughs> yeah GPS is not exactly exact. You yeah, you don't want to get banned just because your GPS glitched out. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. But we did start playing with the parameters. So there's a config file where you can set on the bot, for instance, how far away from your current location it will walk or how many pokemon it will try and catch in a set time or or things like you know when you collect so many of one item then you know do you start jettisoning them or to Mm, make room in in the in the backpack and so we started just playing with those numbers randomly just to see what happens so uh, we we had it running all over we figured out from the pokestops because it tells you each pokestop it's going to we figured out it was somewhere in amsterdam <laughs> you know, i went to some amsterdam Did memorial just... and it ended up at, it's, it ended up at like the sex museum en- entrance oh, in wow. amsterdam <laughs> Did you just plug in random GPS coordinates then? Well, those were the default ones. So I think, I don't know if this, the guy that created the Necrobot is from Amsterdam. Is from Amsterdam. And those were just the default coordinates. Hmm. But yeah, you can set in your own coordinates and you will see it say pinging around this building, going to various places. Very interesting. Yeah. But what's uh, the other thing that kind of makes it a bit game breaky as well is that, of course, Pokemon Go is a free app. And they'll rely on some form of monetization to keep it going. Mm-hmm. And the way they do that is selling things like lures in and the, the shop. Coins, yeah. But through the natural process of leveling up, you can get lures. So you get to a point where you you speed level. You could speed level your Pokemon Go account, mm. and you end up with lures which you can then use freely. That didn't take any effort really to earn. So, yeah, but I know they're still struggling with their server capacity issues. So, for instance, you know it's going to tell you when a Pokemon is close nearby because you'll have the little footprints Oh, yeah, that's been breaking for a while. Yeah, and that's always just been three feet, indicating that they're far away because they they don't have the server capacity to be able to Mm -hmm. say with any more confidence this is where the Pokemon is because they're too busy just trying to get everybody logged in. Mm. I mean, we're, we're a couple of weeks past release now. Well, they're still well, they're still releasing it in different countries. So yeah. I think the other day they released it in Hong Kong. Yeah, which I understand because you need to capitalize on yeah. this. And there was a physical component coming, wasn't there? It was like a wristband. Yes, and that's been set back Seven now. That's been well. delayed till September. Darn it! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, I don't really I don't know think what I'll that get one. does. You any idea what that is? It, 
it I think it's meant to be so that you can close the app and not have to walk around with it and then somehow it communicates with your phone or the servers and notifies you when it can find see a Pokemon. Yeah, nearby. that was my impression. It'd be yeah. like so at the moment your phone you can set it to vibrate when a Pokemon is nearby. Mm. I think the idea would be you can close the phone and not have to hold it and yeah. you've got this thing on your wrist that will alert you when something's nearby. But I don't know how standalone it is or whether it talks to your yeah, phone or whether what. you then have to pull I think, the phone I out. think it connects to your phone when I was reading it, but maybe I'm wrong. Mm. Okay. Tangential Pokemon Go thing that I read. Go was, on. You know how we talked about Nintendo's shares skyrocketing after Pokemon Go came out? Yeah. They took a massive plummet after <laughs> investors realized that actually Nintendo only owns, uh, I can't remember what it is, but slightly less than a third of the shares in the Pokemon company and isn't really responsible for this app. Oh, wow. Yeah. I can't believe investors at that dumb <laughs> you think you'd know yeah surely yeah well interesting i mean i guess it's still yeah it's got a benefit nintendo in a way because yeah. it is their brand so i mean they sure. they do own shares in it i think the thing was that nintendo have been talking for a while about bringing out mobile phone apps and how they're going to bring characters to mobile phones and do stuff for the first time forever mm. so having Pokemon Go suddenly appear and do incredibly well, I think a lot of people thought, oh, actually, Nintendo brands can do really well on phones. But yeah. it turns out Nintendo didn't have anything to do with building this particular really popular app. Mm -hmm. And actually, the only one app that they've had out so far is Mitomo, which died very quickly, in my view. <laughs> yeah, it did. I still have so. it installed, you know. <laughs> it pops yeah, up every now and again. Yeah, and I just and ignore then. it. Yeah, how's it go? Yeah. Much like the Waterminder app. <laughs> yeah. well, I'll say that for Pokemon Go. At least it doesn't bombard you with messages. Yes, that's true. Mm. In yeah, fact, it's probably the one app where I wish it did. When I said, hey, there's a slow bro outside. Maybe they plan to, but because the servers are so unstable, they yeah, don't bother. <laughs> probably. Other tangen tangential Pokemon Go news. Uh, people are looking at naming their kids after Pokemon. Oh, no. Yeah, there's a website oh, where you no, can look oh, at no. baby names, and they've had quite a, a big spike in Pokemon names as potential Is child names. Do you want to take a guess? What are the most popular? Yeah, yeah. What, what Pokemon names people are opting to call their children? Diglett. Magnemite. No, the well, the two examples they gave were Eevee. Fair I guess enough. that, yeah, I guess that would make sense. And Onyx. And Onyx, no. really? Yeah. <laughs> well, better than Jigglypuff, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> but it's still a sad sign of the times. Adam sent around an article the other day, which was about can real life pets see Pokemon in Pokemon Go, and it's lots of pictures of people capturing Pokemon using the the camera on their device and animals looking shocked at the at the pokemon or <laughs> that sounds awesome yeah there is there is no pop proper news anymore is there <laughs> it's um, all pokemon go news yeah let's uh let, let's jump ahead to the uh to the story of uh, ben heck because uh, i think this is one that david could probably uh have some insight on so this is uh this was again this was an ask technica uh, article because Ben Heck, who is, uh, you know what, David, David, I'll let you take it. Could you give us a an overview of Mr. Heck? Yeah, so he's been, 
I don't remember what his surname is. It's like Heckendorn, Heckendorf, something like that. Mm. But he's kind of well known on the internet for tearing down consoles and then rebuilding them in a way that they still work but are more interesting. So, for instance, he's made a number of, taken a number of consoles like PlayStation 3s and Xbox 360s and converted them into laptops. Like pretty big, beefy laptops, but (laughs) essentially, yeah attaching a screen and rebuilding the entire innards into a smaller case and and things like that and he's done a lot of hacks and things i think he did one where he turned like a nintendo 64 into a handheld yes he's like a game boy yeah he's done quite a few handheld conversions as well Mm. and then like builds computers out of raspberry Pis and all sorts he's got a youtube show that's sponsored by element 14 which is a, a website where you can like an online a store where you can buy a bunch of electronics and things. I think I've seen that logo somewhere, probably on a Raspberry Pi yeah, case. Yeah, they, they're one of the big sellers of Raspberry Pis. Right. So, yeah, so he's uh, he's quite well known on the internet as being this electronics guy who does stuff with video game consoles. Does he keep um, the OS the same after he's rebuilt it? Yes. Um, so they still function yeah, so, the same way afterwards? Yeah, so it, it's, it's a portable PlayStation 3, for instance. Excellent. Just in a in a laptop style open shell with a you know screen built in and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um he's quite well known and there was how do you know how long it ago it was? It was November of last year, I think. Okay. Looks, which was when this So there was a device found or or <laughs> refound, I guess. Yeah. Um so going back, taking a step back, the history to this is back with the PlayStation 1. Um, basically, Nintendo had got the the SNES, uh, Super Nintendo Entertainment System. I don't think the, the SNES was out at that point. I think this is, they had the PlayStation, they were looking at capitalizing on CD-ROM technology. So, well, no. So my understanding is that they had the SNES mm-hmm. and that was out. And um, that's sort of the era of the um, Mega Drive and things like that. And then consoles such as the Mega Drive had CD add-ons like the Sega CD. Yeah. And basically all the old all the old consoles of that era used cartridges for their games, which was good in some respects you get fast load times but bad in others in that you can't store a lot on them and they're quite expensive to make and cd technology was coming along at the time and people were starting to look at well maybe we could put games on cds so yeah quite a lot of um, companies were doing that and nintendo was also looking at developing a cd add-on for the super nintendo so they got Sony in and basically had this partnership with Sony where Sony were going to develop this CD add-on version of the SNES. Uh, I think they were going to make both an add-on that you could plug into your existing SNES and like a separate standalone machine that had both cartridges and CDs. Mm-hmm. And this is all kind of rumor and speculation. And the idea is that somewhere along the line, this partnership fell through. And then Sony, instead of just kind of packing it in and going off to do something else said oh well we've done this work maybe we should you know develop our own console and that's how the playstation came along and oh, went on okay. to do amazing and you know yeah take over so they the world took nintendo's idea and made it better so yeah the 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 story goes that if nintendo had 
if this partnership had worked out, um, if they pursued it, then the PlayStation would never would have existed. Wow. Um, yeah. So this was all kind of like theory and rumor and stories that have been told around, told about. And then, as you say, in 2015, somebody like casually mentioned on a Reddit thread, I think it was. Oh, I've seen one of those SNES CD drive things. We've got it in that, in my parents' attic. so yeah they they found this um this like in in development prototype snes cd-rom device so it's it's a super nintendo with a cd-rom attached and it's all kind of built up and yeah yeah they brought it out the attic and it didn't quite work you could play snes games on it but you couldn't get any sound out of it um the cd drive just didn't have any power um yeah so it was it was kind of an interesting find but it looks it doesn't look like a prototype does it though i don't know so on the outside it looks quite well formed like they've almost finished the casing Mm. um when they tore it down opened it up again um on the circuit boards itself there's like wires randomly soldered from one bit of the board to another and <laughs> and stuff so clearly it's still in slightly in development in terms of the circuitry but yeah. yeah so yeah they um they didn't have it working um apart from it would play games without any sound uh so they brought it along to ben heck and he did a proper tear down and then had a go at getting it to work again and there's a there's a two-part uh youtube video i think they're like 40 minute episodes or something where first part is him tearing it down and having a look at it and just going through it and the second part is him trying to get things working on it yeah and i don't think they really get to the point where they get the cd drive working do well they, they get <clears throat> the the problem is they don't have any software for it so i think the idea is there's like there's a special cartridge that you plug in which has some kind of test feature on it for the cd drive when they start, the CD drive just doesn't power on, and he gets it to the point where it powers on, and then it's failing some of these tests, and then he works on it a bit more, and eventually manages to get it to pass all of the tests. But they That's don't have it. any games on CD because there weren't any built. Mm-hmm. They don't that they put an audio CD in, but it doesn't play anything, and they think that's probably because it's not got the software to yeah, play no the BIOS, audio CD. No anything like that. So, yeah, so they kind of take it as far as they can without proper software. Yeah, I think I heard somewhere rumors of a potential CD or something that was in the attic that they didn't bring along. Yeah. <laughs> which is a bit strange that you'd bring the console but not the software to accompany it. Well, maybe they didn't think. I guess it's probably... So the story behind them finding this thing is that he bought his this guy's dad bought a job lot of parts from a company that was going bust uh, and paid like seventy five dollars for yeah. just the <laughs> contents of an office, basically. Yeah. I think it was a company he worked for, Advanta mm-hmm. Corporation, and they went uh, bankrupt in two thousand and nine. Yeah, so, so. yeah, purging the building, and he. And he bought it. Well, that's so always how you find little gems like that, though, isn't it? Yeah, just mm. through a load of junk. Someone's Seems kept... to be, man, what a find as well. Yeah, it's really strange, like things like uh, that. It's a, uh, it's just a Super Nintendo pad, but it's got the Sony logo on it. It's really strange. Yeah, good mm. find. But yeah, having a look over it, I mean, it'd be uh, Ben Heck really knows what he's doing with his stuff. Yeah, so we've been saying it would be wonderful to be able to understand things at a level 
that he he should be on Robot Wars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even he, if his robot was covered with fur, it'd probably win. Do something very clever, I'm sure. I do. I really like his videos. Mm-hmm. Um, I just kind of like get slightly jealous watching them because I just I really wish I understood the the stuff that he does. So well, well, if you want to try and figure it out on one of my Mega Drives, Sega Mega Drives, David. <laughs> yeah, I let's, still have my job lot of Mega Drives, which so build a Mega Drive into a toaster in or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nath came over the other day to borrow a PlayStation controller, and yeah, I've just got a box of them sat in the corner of these Mega Drives. That for anyone who doesn't know, I bought as a job lot of faulty Mega Drives with the intention of fixing. And then discovered that with the right cables, a lot of them work absolutely fine. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a convenient get-out. I didn't have to do it then. Yeah. Not sure it would make for a very good Ben Heck video. No. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Fix these, Ben. Oh, they are fixed. (laughs) I did consider maybe, you know, spraying them or modding them, making them look... Because they're quite old connectors on old Mega Drive, so I was looking at putting like a composite video feed in. I might still do that. Do your own YouTube channel, Joe. Yeah. So I've so, got a house now, so I've got a garden that I can spray paint things in. Excellent. I think that was the problem. I didn't want to go spray painting around this this flat that we were renting. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, yeah, maybe. So that was uh, that was interesting. Uh, another little story that I found was this um, shirt that changes patterns when it detects pollution. Just a a small bit. So it's it's a shirt made by a company called Aero. Aerochromics, yeah. And they've got uh, three shirts, three flavors, if you like. So, and each one's, they're built to detect either carbon monoxide, particle pollution, or radioactivity. (laughs) Which I like the idea of. Um, I mean, to their credit, although it's, to their detriment rather, although it's quite a good fun idea i don't think they really have any idea what to do with it apart from raise awareness yeah i think that was one of the points that was made in the article wasn't it yeah that it's a little bit uh you know if you're stood in a you know in a failed nuclear reactor or something you don't need a shirt to tell you this high radiation i was gonna say probably don't need one of those if you work in the industrial (laughs) industry do you where are these people (laughs) working if you're going to be working in a place that maybe has radioactive you know something's nearby then you're probably going to be wearing more than a fancy 500 dollar t-shirt anyway <laughs> uh, so for instance one of them's got like a sensor on the front and a sensor on the back this is the the part the pollution particles one and if it yeah. senses pollution particles then it heats up the shirt and the heats because the the colors in it are thermally affected yeah the shirt will get darker based on the pollution in the air yeah, the shirt apparently the shirt activates heat pads that yeah. change the white dots to black it keeps you warm as well <laughs> <laughs> multi-purpose well, it better be for 500 dollars oh wow yeah it's interesting they've got the carbon monoxide detecting one because obviously mm. we're all meant to have carbon monoxide uh, alarms and stuff in our houses aren't we just wear the t-shirt so you could just either wear the t-shirt or hang the t-shirt up on the wall <laughs> is, is it a t-shirt or a shirt uh, it looks long sleeved. I'm it? just on their website, long which is why it was randomly playing music there for a second. It's a top. It's a top. Interestingly enough, um, 
if you just like the patterns of the shirts, you can buy the shirts without any uh, without any sensors or sensors for a mere ninety dollars. No. Oh wow, wow. it's <laughs> still not that cheap then. Yeah, five hundred dollars for most of the 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 radioactive shirt is six hundred and twenty five dollars. There's actually little videos here, like little animations of the shirts changing colours, which makes me wonder: did they like stand the guy in in a bunch of radiation? <laughs> <laughs> to <Yeah>. get that, <laughs> or maybe it's got one other, one other thing that affects it that they used for test purposes. Mm. So, like, if you walk into a room with, I don't know, maybe you should gonna... just spray a certain chemical on the sensor and then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, one of the reasons that this that uh, this story jumped out at me was because, um, do you know? Do both of you know the story of the poem on the side of? the university building up by the roundabout. Uh, so it's, Simon yeah. Armitage. it's Simon Armitage. I don't mm-hmm. know much about it. I've read it, but yeah. I can't remember it. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't remember the, the content of it, but it's called In Praise of Air, and it's on That's the side right. of the Alfred Denny building at the university. And uh, someone told me this a while ago, and I thought, oh, wow, this is, this is true. But the, the material that it's printed on, the canvas mm. that it's printed on, is made of a it's made of a material that's coated with microscopic pollution-eating particles of titanium dioxide, huh. which, uh, which use sunlight and right. oxygen to react with nitrogen oxide and purify the air. Oh, so right. every day, that poem is is uh, negating the uh, nitrogen oxide of 20 cars wow wow yeah very clever and you would who would know yeah i know it's and uh, it's it's on the website though it's on the the sheffield university website and uh, one of the fellas uh, talking about it on the website says if every banner flag or advertising poster in the country did this we'd have much better air quality it would add less than a hundred pounds to the cost of a poster and would turn advertisements into catalysts in more ways than one i guess it depends how much it costs then to use yeah i mean a hundred pounds for every poster i mean i don't know how much it costs to put up an advert (laughs) anyway i don't know if by poster he means billboard or just a normal poster but i remember them saying also that you could use it on clothes so you could have clothes that have the same stuff in them so you could walk around in your little bubble of clean air there must (laughs) be a reason that it's not been a thing then i think it does wear off after a while Okay. Yeah, and uh, I don't know whether it's the sort of thing that you can just spray on after putting on your aftershave. Or... <laughs> <laughs> I'd imagine if it's reacting with things, then yeah, it's probably yeah, probably at some point it will all have reacted, and then it will just be over. Yeah, it'll just be a normal poster, <laughs> a normal bog standard poster. Yeah, very interesting. So, yeah, let's uh, let's have a look at uh, what else we've got. Then should we talk about the the solar powered plane? For a couple of minutes sure so this was a um in, in case anyone's unaware a solar powered plane has just completed a round trip mm. of the earth and um, this it's a uh, it's called the solar impulse 2 and uh, i've got a it was a i think i linked to you a guardian article but then i was also having a look at a huffington post article it was basically talking about this single seat plane which it touched down on tuesday in abu dhabi 
uh, which is where it started back okay. in March of last year. So it's taken quite a long time to get around. Yeah, I don't think it's been in the air the whole time no. before you get... Well, I've, I've just were, had a look at the pictures. That's a lot of in-flight meals the, to eat. The wings are massive. Yeah, yeah. I think the wingspan's 75 metres, is it? And I think a Boeing 747 is something 70, like 60. Yeah, so Solar that's Impulse 2 is 72 metres and the Boeing 747 is 68.5. Yeah. Um, so it's... It, I think there was 17,200 17, solar cells on the wings or the wow. general thing that, that powered it. It didn't, it charges <laughs> when it's on the ground. So it's not constantly charging while it's in the air. Mm, I think it does charge during daylight. Actually. Yeah, you would think uh, yeah. if it's solar powered, then it must do. Yeah, so they're saying, mm. sorry, I'm reading the article. Um, yeah, during daylight, it charges and they climb up to about twenty nine thousand feet but then they have to drop at night to about five thousand feet because obviously they're not getting any charge all oh, right okay what's the theory there that it's safer they, to crash from to five thousand feet i don't know <laughs> i i suspect it has something to do with uh I, I'm um, not even going to guess <laughs> physics i think i heard there's, before there's that, physics thing that to if do. The, yeah if well, the i guess the, if the pressure's higher like or more intense higher up there's going maybe they need more power i don't know physics maybe maybe, physics. maybe you can just <laughs> with wings like that you could probably just glide down if it did run out of power maybe but the reason it's taken so long is for instance i think they had nine months where they were in malibu or something like that. well it also states that the plane flies at 30 mile an hour which is considerably slower than normal jet airplanes mm-hmm. Well, yes, <laughs> considerably. In some ways, yes. It's it's, all, it's, you might as well just be on a road and drive 30 miles. You, I mean, when you think about how long it takes to get through Sheffield if you just drove 30 miles an hour through through every road, oh. take quite a while. One of their, considering they drove, like, sorry, drove, they're considering that they flew <laughs> the at air. 30 miles an hour, their longest leg that they did was 4,000 miles um, from Japan to Hawaii. How long did that take? So that's that's horrible i would yeah. not have wanted to do that and um but they don't even have in-flight entertainment no just sat in the cockpit playing pokemon go on the yeah. way over so yeah <laughs> no amount pokemon of, are out in the pacific no amount of solar powered cells will be able to keep a phone on charge when you're playing pokemon go so there's two there were two pilots as well so they're swapping every now and again so one one pilot did that flight oh, <laughs> oh man and yeah, it's, it's it's a great great achievement, and a lot of people are saying, "Well, it's not as good as it sounds," because he had to stop multiple multiple times along the way. But here's a fact: um, it was only eleven years ago in two thousand and five that the first unfueled circumnavigation of the globe took place at all. Oh, really? So oh, okay. even in fuel powered um, planes, yeah, it was a Virgin plane. So the fact that eleven years later you've got a solar-powered plane that, okay, sure, it had to refuel, but the fact that I can get around the world is is pretty good. Interesting though, on the stats on the left of this article, it has maximum flight duration, and the Solar Impulse Two has got five to six days. Yeah, so it's. I think the idea is that it can't quite generate enough power while it's going to continuously power it but so if you start with a full charge it is constantly charging while you're in flying in daylight 
so you can get about five to six days out of it before you run out so if night didn't exist and the sun was also always accessible potentially yeah you could just keep going forever loving night halting (laughs) progress i think it's worth pointing out that this is not about generating you know creating new solar powered planes yes Mm. um What's it about? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, mean, it's it's a great, you know, it's a great advertisement for renewable energy. Yeah, they're not. Yeah, that pretty much that is is what they're doing with that. They're making a point about how you can use solar power, which is available to everybody and you and it's clean energy it's renewable energy and you can do amazing things with it they're not they're not saying we should replace boeing 747s with a solar impulse they could go the way we have done with cars and you could have hybrid planes i guess Hmm. that that could be one where they still have jets but they don't have to use them all the time yeah that could work and run for an hour or two on renewable energy turn the jets off and then turn it back on. I I'm just know. thinking that might bring the cost down as well. Because yeah. a lot of the times when you book a flight, the actual flight itself is fairly cheap. It's the emissions tax that seems to slap yeah, a lot of money on the true. price. Yeah. So if they could reduce that, lots more travel. Yeah. So it could make it cheaper. Mm-hmm. There'll there'll be ways they'll be able to use that yeah. technology. I mean, it's, it's a prototype. I think it says it's 200 times lighter than your standard aircraft, or your standard Boeing 747. Mm, or five seven true. or three seven whatever the standard plane is uh, but still good first step well done <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you stick that on the website as well joe's seal of approval for this week just a little uh, story that i saw just before i came on so you haven't got it was uh someone uh on on reddit who found a to reset their phone they had a galaxy s6 phone and uh, do you know SwiftKey? It's the, yeah, it's, it's like the swipey keyboard. Swipey keyboard thing. I know uh, the Google and Apple have sort of their own flavor now. But SwiftKey is... Um, <laughs> this was an instance where someone reset their Galaxy S6 because it went out of warranty. So they they, they wrote uh, a... They, they, they rooted it, basically, because it was out of warranty and they thought I might as well. And when they restored it, they... they logged into the play store downloaded swiftkey and started typing and it was coming up with loads of german predictions right and they went uh, on to uh like a g gmail something like that <clears throat> and it was putting in predictions for someone else's email account wow <laughs> which Uh-oh. i thought was a uh, pretty pretty crazy because i know people like to say the clouds Great and everything, but this is also yeah. hot on th- off the back of uh, there was a LastPass vulnerability this week, wasn't there? Yeah. I, did you actually see any details about that? I only briefly skimmed over it. From what I understand, it was, uh, I think it was people visiting website visiting affected websites with their LastPass thing. It, no, I didn't. I think I think from what I saw, we <laughs> we are so qualified to talk about this. I think from what I saw, um, it was a theory. Some white hat hacker had found some vulnerability and had claimed to have been able to craft a website which would exploit it and give you access to all the passwords. But okay. I, it's not out in the wild yet, mm. and 
he didn't give any details, presumably because he's hopefully talking to LastPass and they're hopefully closing the hole. Yeah, I heard I'm a bit of money sure. floating around, but not a, not a large amount of money. I mean, I know there's a difference between white hat money and black hat money, but from the sounds of it, he did not get a lot of money for identifying this vulnerability. But hey, I'm not in the vulnerability finding game, so maybe that's just standard. But then someone also, uh, within the last week or so, f- found the Vine source code and sold that to someone for about, I think it was about $10,000, um, which uh, still again, not, is, is not an awful lot, but it's different when you're, when you're doing these things illegitimately. Yeah. Right, let's finish off with our Kickstarter of the week. I do feel safe saying that this one's a bit rubbish. <laughs> now, this is the last time we'll be mentioning Pokemon Go. <laughs> oh, we're still going. I'm going to delete the app as oh. soon as we've finished. <laughs> this is the, the Poke case. At the moment, it's raised a, 64, a total of $64 of its $5,000 goal. Um, do you want to take a guess? What the so, poker case does? So it's presumably a case for your phone. Mm-hmm. In the shape of a Pokeball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Does it like so. enhance is it got something in it that will enhance the vibration when when the phone vibrates and there's a Pokemon nearby? No. But that would, that be, would a, be a great idea. That would be a great idea because we've said previously how so you never know when your phone vibrates, whether you're getting an email or whether it's a Pokemon. <laughs> and it would be useful to have something that would help you differentiate. I should go on Kickstarter. Yeah, should do. But I don't know how to do that. <laughs> I know how to go on Kickstarter. I don't know how to make a, a super vibratey phone case. No. You don't have to, you just get the funding to make one and then you run off with the money. Mm. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> that is the Kickstarter way. Um, no, so the, the explanation of it is this. Stop wasting Pokeballs with missed shots. Always throw straight with the guided groove in the phone oh, case for Pokemon no. Go. There's a picture of it. It's basically a clear piece of Perspex that someone's put a little groove down the middle of. So, so that you, when, wow. you, when you're trying to catch your Pokemon, it throws it straight. You're not getting no curveballs with that. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, uh, we'll put it on the website. But... Uh, it's basically some kid who's got hold of some a 3D printer or something and thought, oh, I could do something. If, the, with if you were that it, bothered, though, you just get a ruler and then run your finger against it. What's funny about it as well is you can't see from this picture, I'll show you, but it's got, if you were to d- divert your gaze to my phone case here, you know how you have the little bit on the back? Mm-hmm. That, a little cut out for the camera lens. Yeah. If you look at this prototype, it's got that on it on the front. So it's like they've they found somewhere a clear plastic bag for an iPhone, stuck it on the front, and, and then put the little it. groove in it for you to flick your Pokeballs. <laughs> wow. Wow. Oh, I'm sure there's plenty of stuff like this. Only $64, you say? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where... I think you can use the phone normally as well i think it does allow you it is capacitive in some way i don't know if maybe plastic is just capacitive i don't know it doesn't go into the technical specifications (laughs) really yeah (laughs) clearly thought about this for a long time yes yeah so uh, yeah that's uh, that's everything anyway uh, oh this is good i don't have to do the email address or anything (laughs) because we've already done it I'll do the email address once more, just for good measure, in case anyone missed it first time. Do send us emails, because we will read them, and if they are remotely suitable, we'll read them out on the podcast and or discuss them. 
Yes, there are no no emails that we've had to uh, censor censor yet. Is that because well, there was the spam no emails? emails. Oh, <laughs> there was the spam email about print cartridges. Yes, that was. Well, I think it was spam. Maybe they're just enthusiastic about print cartridges. Yeah. Maybe we'll talk about print cartridges next week. Maybe we will. We'll see. All that to come next week on the Unraveling Technology Podcast. Do do do. The podcast email address is <laughs> podcast at unravelingtechnology.co.uk. So if you'd like to get in touch with us about anything discussed herein, then please do. But anyway, from me, Joe Tonks, David Johnson, and our special guest, Nathan Rona, thank you and goodbye. Bye. Bye.